I went down to our Selfridges um, pop-up and there was a queue stretching outside Selfridges all the way down Oxford Street, which was such a surreal thing to think of. You know when there's a moment that is like a moment in time that you're not going to forget. Like, let's experience this. And we're not really good at celebrating success. I don't think many brands get the opportunity to experience that kind of brand love. This is The Summit by Fields Adventures. I'm David Humes and every week, my co-founder Dominic McGregor and I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. Thanks for joining us on The Summit. Phyllis Adventures' podcast where we meet amazing leaders of companies across the whole of the UK. We're here today with Howard from Little Moons, who's created an entire new category in the dessert space. Thanks, Howard, for coming to uh, talk to us today on The Summit. It's really great to have you here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. So, Mochi, like you brought it to the UK, I think. I think like you've created this whole wave of excitement around mochi take us back to where this whole began i founded the business 12 years ago with my sister vivian so a while ago now the foundations of the business probably came from my childhood Uh, my parents ran a small asian bakery that made a bunch of fantastic products but one of them was traditional mochi okay and um i always loved the product i thought it had great potential but the traditional form is filled with red bean paste which is very alien to most people, probably a bit too alien to be commercially successful in a big way in the UK. And so I've always loved the product, but wanted to do something more with it. And so that's where Little Moons was kind of the seed of the idea came in our childhood, actually, in our teens. We were like, we'd, we'd love to make a mochi ice cream brand, um, but then actually founded it in our 20s. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Obviously, you've created this is like really new concept. How do you go about even doing it i mean it must be like super difficult from like a manufacturing perspective and creating a brand i mean how did you think about it you're right it's really not easy especially (laughs) when you're doing manufacturing because our parents had a really small bakery that's kind of like manufacturing okay um to us it was always you know the default was we're going to make our own product okay a few years into the journey we'd go to business talks and listen to like famous founders talking and one of them said my advice is don't manufacture your own product, like leave it to the experts and you focus on sales and marketing and branding and all that kind of thing. And I think for most brands or companies, that's probably the right thing to do. If there's a factory that can make your product really well, you should probably go down that route because it's a big hurdle to like set up a factory, be good at it. Um, So I guess we were lucky in that our parents already had some experience in manufacturing, but it was a really steep learning curve to sort of scale it and grow and learn out learn how to produce at scale where did you start selling the product we always had ambitions to become a grocery brand which okay. is just to be available in supermarkets yeah. but when we started off um, we quickly realized that one i don't think the market would have been ready even if you get onto the shelf of say a tesco the biggest challenge is to get it off the shelf yeah. and get people buying <laughs> it and 12 years ago there just wasn't the awareness of mochi ice cream to sort of really sell and so we decided that actually going launching through restaurants is a really like what we thought was a really smart way to sort of launch the product because in restaurants people are much more open to trying new things you have a way to to sort of introduce the product to you and say try this this is what you should be expecting and you're kind of primed to be ready to try a new food experience when you buy something when you get something from a restaurant so we started in restaurants like nobu and yo sushi were some of our early customers and that really helped us to scale and kind of speak to top chefs to learn about where you get really great ingredients from and um, just sort of find out what products and flavors really work. And it okay. gave us time to sort of refine our manufacturing technique. Um, and then we launched into supermarkets like Whole Foods in 2015. You went, you just turned up at a restaurant saying, hey, you should 
start serving my kind of ice cream. Um, we did a lot of cold calling. Okay. It wasn't that effective, if I'm being honest. Right. It's quite hard to find a time where a chef wants to speak to you. <laughs> we went to the restaurant show. Okay. And got a lucky break. We met chefs from kind of Itsu, Yosushi, Nobu. Um, but we quickly found that instead of going door to door to restaurants, it's best to go up the chain and find distributors who are already selling into um, all of these places. And you don't have to set up a new account. It's just yeah. like, okay, we have a new product. So you're not yeah. chasing hundreds of stores for payment and it's kind of not a great use of time. So you, you're into the restaurants, people like loving your products. Yep. And then how do you get Whole Foods to kind of get on board? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you say people are loving your products. So every stage of the business yeah. has always been a test about how big we think this could get. Yeah. So when we first launched onto a menu, we're like, is this going to sell? And I remember going to restaurants where we were on the menu and the thrill you'd get of just like sitting next to someone who's ordering you and you're kind of like, please, can they like this, right? And then you start seeing random tweets about people loving it and you're like scouring social media for feedback because it's quite hard to sort of find out otherwise if people are liking your product. So, you know, it, it ended up being the best-selling product in a lot of people's menus. Wow. And then we're like, okay, where can this go next? And then we, since we've always wanted to be in supermarkets, it gave us the confidence to invest in our brand. And then we launched in Whole Foods, quickly became the best-selling product. And we're just like, this is amazing. But then when you speak to mainstream retailers, they're always like, okay, Whole Foods is really niche. Is this a London-only product? And those are questions that we had in the back of our mind too. We had a lot of confidence, um, but just step by step, you begin to sort of see data that you actually could work in a much bigger way. So we meet loads of entrepreneurs, right? And they're trying to kind of disrupt a category that exists. Yeah. You create the category. Yeah. You know, it's not just about creating a product and a brand. How do you actually create a category in retail in the UK? It's a good question. I mean, it's super hard. Yeah. And um, I used to be really jealous of other brands who were doing a gourmet version or a healthier version of a really familiar product, yeah. like gourmet donuts yeah. or kind of healthy sausages. You know, it's just like people get it. <laughs> yeah. Ours was a really long route of education. We're like, you know, we have a huge education piece to sort of educate an entire country about a new product that's really hard to describe without trying it. Um, and that's kind of why we started in the restaurant route. Um, and we were really conscious of people's first experience of mochi ice cream or Little Moons to be in a really positive way. Mm. So we were quite careful about how we launched. Like we had a, a kiosk in Selfridges and we made sure we employed a team that were really engaging and great customer service. So it, honestly, it's really challenging. And I think that it took a lot of time. We were lucky that it was such a niche area at the time that we didn't need like a huge marketing budget to sort of say, okay, I'm racing against another mochi yeah. ice cream brand. So I need to sort of deploy X million pounds on educating the market in the next year. And I've got these sales targets to hit. We were just like, let's grow organically and see where it goes. And it sort of really grew quite steadily. Wow, amazing. Yeah. So you, you kind of expanded into retail. Give me what the, what I assume like manufacturing and production logistics has just been a constant nightmare, basically. I mean, it's really not, Easy. Um, <laughs> there was a particular time, um, it was just after Brexit, and 50% of our sales were to Europe. Wow. Um, so we thought that was like the biggest night. We'd spent two years with endless team meetings discussing all the things which are changing, what we're going to do. There's no clarity. Uh, but actually, it turned out to be a tiny problem compared to the problems of COVID and shutting down factories and manufacturing when you're trying to safeguard the safety of your team. Yeah. And we were scaling really fast at the time. Plus, you're also making calls on whether you invest in this big, new, expensive factory wow. with all that uncertainty. So 
it was hard, but I think it's all about having an amazing team. And I think building the right team is so fundamental to growth. I mean, how did you decide what the right team was? When I first started the business, I honestly had no idea the different divisions of a business. Like I'd done economics at uni, I'd worked at a big investment bank, but actually in terms of knowing what elements it takes to grow a business i really didn't have a clue my parents business was very small you know we didn't have a marketing team yeah. we didn't have salespeople, so <laughs> you just didn't quite get it yeah and the first few years it was viv and i doing a lot of the stuff just sort of running around which gives you a good opportunity to learn about all the different areas in a business so it's a good foundation i wouldn't recommend it to everyone because most people are competing against people and they have to go really fast but we met a non-exec director who had a lot of experience in kind of indulgent foods and had grown a grocery brand before. He was the MD of quite a big yeah. um, desserts brand. And he really helped us to say, okay, this is the sort of structure we think you'll need to grow. I think you're at the right point to build a senior leadership team. These are the four people you need. Wow. And it really made a difference to know whether to spend X thousand pounds on a salary or you know, that plus 30%. And the difference between the caliber of candidates you'll get is really massive. And I've seen other brands be a bit skimpy on on the salaries and just not get the people that can grow with them. Or if you aim too high, you probably won't attract candidates that will want to do the heavy lifting or go through the early stages of the business with you. So I think that having someone who's done it before, kind of seen what good and bad or kind of what you need was super helpful to us. I think we've seen a lot of that, right? Where you're under hire or you're over hire. Yeah. And actually finding the right sweet spot and the right kind of culture of yeah. the individual is super important, right? Really? Yeah. yeah. So you've got your products out there. You love it. It's in all the supermarket shelves. TikTok enters your life. Yeah. You go viral on TikTok and oh my gosh, it just sells out everywhere. How does that feel? What do you do? Oh, it's a good question. Um, how does it feel? I remember it quite clearly. It was like, just past my birthday and we were still working remotely quite a lot of the time so I remember scrolling through I think someone in the marketing team once said oh we seem to be getting quite a lot of hits on on TikTok and I was like oh yeah cool everyone kind of ignored it you know didn't really realize it was a big deal and then I was at home on the sofa sort of scrolling through TikTok and you can kind of see videos that have been tagged with little means I remember scrolling through them and they were appearing kind of faster than I could scroll (laughs) it was kind of scrolling through like hundreds and hundreds of videos i was like wow this is really surreal and then i I went down to our selfridges um pop-up or kiosk and there was a queue stretching outside selfridges all the way down oxford street Mm -hmm. which was such a surreal thing to think of i had to bring my mum down and my my uh, fiance at the time to sort of have a look at it and just think you know you know when there's a moment that is like a moment in time that you're not going to forget like let's experience this and we're not really good at celebrating success but this was like a moment where like I don't think many brands get the opportunity to experience that kind of fan love. Um, But then after that kind of died down, actually came like a huge amount of work, stress and trouble because, you know, scaling food isn't easy. You can't suddenly, you know, grow. You're not a software business. You know, you have to make enough at the right quality, hire teams. We actually had to sort of put on 24 hour shifts of production. And then kind of we were only in Tesco, Waitress and Ocado at that time. We were banging down the doors of lots of other, pe- lots of other supermarkets. And, you know, pre- prior to that, and they were like, yeah, I'm not sure. But all of a sudden, everyone wanted us, wow. which is a really great position to be in as a brand, like a dream position. Yeah, yeah. But we just couldn't produce enough. So you kind of have to sort of decide who to prioritize. Really painful decisions because you're going to short some people and you get loads of customers. We had calls from people just saying, I've, I've gone to like 10 different stores. You're, you're, ne- you're not anywhere. Like I've driven hundreds of miles literally were like really sorry we're going to try and do something about that 
so it was just really challenging logistical problem. I think we, we got in um, a bunch of really experienced consultants, and this was with the help of our NED, because we wouldn't know where to look for these people or that these people existed. So mm. um, brought some experts in to support our team. Um, yeah, it was, it was challenging, but we got through it. So your mum came to see this big queue. Yeah. And obviously way back, she started making mochi in the bakery. How did she feel? My mum's always been quite a stoic, you know, first generation um, Asian mum who actually, so I think, I don't know if this is a sweeping stereotype, but I think she said once they don't like to congratulate their children too much to, to sort of make them feel too kind of big headed. Yeah. And so through a lot of the early days of our business, you'll be like, you're doing all right, but you're spending quite a lot of money <laughs> on branding and this and that. Like when, when, when are you actually going to start sort of selling more basically? Or, and so she's always been quite supportive from the background, but I think this was like a period of time where she actually said, wow, this is quite incredible what you've achieved. And like, I'm really proud of you. And my sister and I were like, oh, finally, like, <laughs> our work is done. Mum's happy. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was really nice. Oh, amazing. Yeah. What's the future look like? What, what you, what's the next ambition for the company? We've just had external investment for the first time. Wow, congratulations. Um, which has is, which is sort of given us some sort of firepower to grow. Yeah. Um, we're really excited about growing in international markets. Our mission is to bring um, sort of a little bit of joy into everyone's lives. And I think our product really does that. And I think we want to launch into France and Germany. Um, we've, we're just launching in Woolworths in Australia, which is kind of one of the biggest supermarket wow. brands, okay. uh, supermarkets there. Got lots of international ambitions and some new products to bring to the table. So Fantastic. Yeah. And working with your sister, how's that worked out? It's been a real journey. So, <laughs> so you know, in the early days, we used to do everything together. Yeah. And we actually used to live together for a time. So wow. super stressful. Yeah. Work over, overtook our lives. And we, we got to a point where we would get home and the last thing we'd want to do is talk to each other because there'd be a business problem that you kind of could continue discussing at home. But over time, we've actually realized, we actually took personality tests at a point in our, like kind of quite a few years ago now, okay. but we realized that we had absolutely polar opposite kind of personality types. And whilst that could be a source of friction, uh, we, we've now realized, like looking back at the journey, it's such, it's a cliche to say, find a founder that has yeah. completely different skill set to you. But it's true, like if they do, it really helps you to come to problems in different ways. We rarely actually argue. So we'll sort of discuss our points and points of view and then sort of come to agreement. Uh, to be fair, it helps to have a wider team beyond just the two of you to sort of <laughs> input as well, but it's been really helpful. I think separating responsibilities and sort of playing into your strengths yeah. is something that's like quite important. And was there ever a time when one of the two of you just was like, that's it, I just can't cope with this, I need to give up? To be brutally honest, there have been really sort of some testing times in yeah. the business. And it's good to have, I, I think having a co-founder is um, really a real luxury to have um, if you get the right one. Because, you know, I know founders who are sort of solo founders and to, trying to imagine myself in their shoes, it's so much pressure to yeah. not have someone to sort of vent with and sort of someone on your level that's not an employee yeah. to sort of talk to. Yeah. I think when one of us is down or a bit burnt out, like the other one can be like, look, you know, I'm going to step up take a break, step back for a bit and then yeah. recharge. Because normally it's like lack of sleep, just a few brutal months and you just need a bit of a break. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there have been moments where both of us have felt a little bit burnt out, but I think having a co-founder can, can really help. So on that, you know, you've just taken an external investment for the first time. Yeah. So you've had, you know, the, you've, it's quite late in the business's kind of development, right? Normally founders, they raise money much earlier. Mm -hmm. Had this 
significant period when almost it's all, all been down to you. You know, you and your sister, you've decided what you want to do and yep. you go. So now you've got, I guess, external investors and stakeholders yep. on board. How have you found that transition sort of so late in the company's kind of evolution? I think in the early days of your business, you're still trying to navigate what works, uh, what your business plan is. And in the early days, honestly, I think it shifts quite a lot as you discover new things. Um, which channels are you going to sell in? What products are you going to develop? And as an entrepreneur, you typically are bounding with ideas, right? You could have taken it this direction. At yeah. one point, I wanted to open a chain of uh, shops, <laughs> open a bakery. Yeah. Um, the stage of our business at right now is that we actually have quite a clear three to five year plan. And it's about kind of executing that. Yeah. So having smart people on board that can help you execute that plan, it, it, it's quite good. I, I don't see myself suddenly thinking, you know what, I think I want to do something completely different that's kind of, which I probably would have wanted to do in my first five years. So I sometimes speak to founders and they're like, I, you know, I really wouldn't like that external influence in the business. But for me, it's actually kind of the right time. And so it's been pretty good. I think sometimes having someone you've got to answer to really makes you step up your own game. Yeah. You know, because actually that thing that you can put off till tomorrow, you have to do today. Yeah. So I think one thing as a founder is if you don't have, you don't really have a boss to sort of one, to mentor you uh, or or two, to tell you you need to do this or else. It's just down to your sort of, your, you know, how good you are at getting it done yourself. So you're right to an extent, although, yeah, you're kind of artificially putting yourself under that. (laughs) So, yeah. And, you know, last but not least, other entrepreneurs out there that are looking to build their own, you know, FMCG brands. And you know, we meet a lot of people who are looking, looking to enter the food category and their aim is to be on the shelf of, you know, a large supermarket. What advice would you give them today? Um, I think before you start the business, if you're at that stage, I think you should really try and question kind of why you're doing what you're doing. Um, what are you looking to achieve lifestyle-wise or purpose-wise and, and be quite clear on that if you try and understand that. Um, and once, you've, once you're sure on kind of what, or at least 80% of the way there, then I think it's the usual stuff of just sort of, for food, focusing on product is super important. Like you have to have confidence that it's going to work. Otherwise, all the next advice that I'm going to give about structure and team and all that sort of stuff, decisiveness, can, get, can fall over because your product's just not there. You yeah. don't have confidence in it. But once you've got your product right, I think... The 80-20 rule has something that is really important to me to learn. I used to be a bit of a perfectionist. I used to labor over quite small decisions, yeah. spend ages on branding, um, you know, can waste a lot of time. And actually, most of the time, you're probably in a bit of a race um, against yourself or against competition. So 80-20 rule, being really decisive, building a great team. I think those are, those are two main things. And going, you know, your own personal ambitions, you know, what, what would you articulate as your own personal summit? And what kind of, what would it look like when you get there? I don't think I have a personal summit for life. Mm-hmm. I think life is a, a series of summits. Um, and you never know what's going to, how you'll feel in five years' time. So I sort of break down life in sort of a few short years of chunks of what I'm aiming to achieve. My goal over the next few years is to sort of develop Little Moons, grow it internationally, spread the joy of Little Moons with as many people as possible, but also get the business into a state where the values and the things that I want to be in the business to be ingrained in its DNA, even without me. And to sort of, that's what my aim is over the next few years. And then after that, I guess, I just don't know what the future holds. I haven't planned it out. But I do think control of my own time is something that, a personal goal. I've been doing this for 12 years now. So I kind of want to be able to spend more time with family and and do other things. So 
I think I was just reading a book called The Psychology of Money. And I think one of the key, one of the quotes that resonates with me is something about how one of the most important intrinsic values of money is the ability to control your own time if you set it up like that. Yeah. And I think there's no point chasing sort of financial goals or I want to be the biggest food brand in the world. But actually, what do you want to spend your time doing? Because it might, you might be able to navigate that and get there a lot quicker than just saying, I just want to build the biggest business in the world and then IPO it. Because that, is that really going to give you what you want to do? Amazing. Well, thanks, Howard. It's been really fascinating to have talked to you about how you built this amazing brand and business. And hopefully uh, you make it amazing going forward as well. Thank you. Great. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Howard. Cheers. And thank you, everyone, for watching. It's been you know, a great opportunity to explore how to create a new brand and get your products into the shelves of you know every supermarket in the country so very inspiring if you liked it please uh, like the podcast and leave some comments below and see you next time Cheers.